You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Well, welcome back in, everybody. Great to be back with you here as the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast. I am merely the somewhat capable host, TJ Reeves. He is the man that you are uh, tuning in to hear, at least I say so. Uh, John Lewis, the purveyor, the owner, the operator of SportsMediaWatch.com is back with all the takes on everything sports media that at least we find is relevant, ratings, uh, et cetera. John, good to be back with you for what will be a busy show. How are things? Things are going well. How are you doing? Uh, I'm good. You're looking much better. I see you. I know the audience can't see you. It's still man behind the curtain. You sound much better, appears to be feeling much better. Um, And we've got lots to discuss here on the show. Reminder, however you found this latest edition of the podcast, we're growing, we're expanding. More on that in a second. But however you found us through John's website, sportsmediawatch.com, through a social media link, make sure you're following or subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, et cetera. That's the easiest way to get to us. We come out early on in the week, fairly early in the week, to kind of set the table for the rest of the week. Uh, and again, as uh, as I may mention, we've got a new podcast aboard. We're going to talk more with George Offman a little bit later on. George's podcast, Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, has now partnered up with John's Blessing here as part of SportsMediaWatch.com and the podcast and the feed of shows. So if you're on the feed, you will get all of George's new shows. And, uh, and John, I know we're interested in talking about the debut episode with him. Bill Wennington is that debut episode, Chicago Bulls uh, broadcaster. Um, but he's got some fascinating guests that he's had before the likes of Mike Wilbon and Bob Costas and Kevin Harlan and uh, on and on down the list that have done play by play with or, or uh, broadcasting with a Chicago kind of connection. And he's got other ones in the in the upcoming Tom Brenneman will be one of the uh, the guests in the upcoming here, the disgraced former Fox Sports broadcaster. Uh, that That's an interview coming up. Kenny Albert, the NHL uh, on TNT and the Fox Sports NFL. Uh, and Major League Baseball broadcaster. I, I know we're uh, we're excited. I, I'm not going to speak for you, but we're excited, are we not, to have George yep. aboard, and we're going to hear from him in the podcast in a little bit. Yep, uh, you know, trying to expand the site a bit, see what we can do. And it's uh, and it's all good uh, with with his angles, and you always end up learning something from his podcast. Again, I won't tip all of what we're going to talk about, but Will, Bill Wennington was trying to be a hockey player, and then there was an issue growing up in Canada with him being a hockey player. You'll want to hear that from George Offman and how he ended up being a basketball player that won 
not one, not two, but three titles with the Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan. So that's coming uh, in a little bit. In the present, lots of news, including on the day that we're taping this, the news that is out involving Fox Sports announcing the eventual, notice how I qualified that, John Lewis, the eventual lead analyst for their NFL coverage will be, ta-da, the GOAT, Tom Brady. Uh, Boy, talk about coming off of losing Joe Buck and Troy Aikman to the ESPN Monday Night Football booth. Now they come back around Fox with a big-time name and a boatload of money offered to him. John, what do you make of this announcement with Brady still slated to play this season in the NFL for my Tampa Bay Buccaneers. What do you make of all this? You know, it's, uh, it is, uh, if Andrew Marchand is at all accurate, uh, I suspect he is, um, but Fox is denying it. And then it's absurd because we're talking about a 10 year deal worth nearly 400 million for a single guy (laughs) who's never done this before and may not even be good. It's absolutely wild. Um, Yes, Fox needed a win. They needed to recover from not just losing Buck and Aikman, but losing Buck and Aikman and losing out on Peyton Manning and losing out on Tony Romo. You know, this is not the Fox way, right? Uh, they, they, they get the big names. They don't lose the big names and miss out. So, you know, obviously it's a huge win, but, you know, sometimes the biggest wins are the deals you don't make. And uh, I... I mean, I think getting Brady is great. I think getting Brady for that price is ridiculous. It's like when the Lakers got Anthony Davis. Yeah, it's great to get Anthony Davis, but how many draft picks did you give up for a guy who can't stay healthy for a full season? Right. Uh, Similar with Kawhi Leonard and the Clippers. Kawhi's played 12 games for the Clippers, and they didn't even get out of the second round with him on the court. I mean, they did go to the conference finals last year with him hurt. And look at all the assets they gave up. They gave up their whole future, you know, I mean, I guess in in this instance, it doesn't really matter because money is, you know, nothing. It's a vapor for for these companies. But at 400 million for one guy, it just comes off as ostentatiously ridiculous, right? I mean, that's that's an absurd price tag for anybody. It would be an absurd price tag for Michael Jordan if he went to NBC in 1999, fresh out of retirement for that kind of money. So I don't know. Well, it is it is a ton of money. I, one thing I was thinking when you were saying this, though, too, uh, that once the word began to be circulated, what Tony Romo was being signed up for, the agents are going to seize on that. The agents are going to leak information. And a lot of times, kids, here's what happens with agents. They love to embellish and they love to wait for somebody to swat down or deny what the deal is. I don't know what the deal is. I do know this. If you want a little insight here on the sportsmediawatch.com podcast, we were all taken aback. Tom Brady kept this quiet from everybody in Buccaneer land and moving out outside of his inner circle. Nobody really knew that that announcement was coming. And it's very interesting. He's slated to play this season and Fox is slated to broadcast the Super Bowl this season. John, as you've been talking about. So there's theories down here that if the Buccaneers don't make the playoffs, which is highly unlikely with him at quarterback, or if they don't make the Super Bowl, would Tom Brady be in the booth this year? What is your take on that? Well, that's another complicated story because, look, let's be real. You know, I mean, eventually the magic fairy dust is going to wear off. And with all due respect, we're still talking about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who, you know, how many playoff games that they played in the decade before Brady got there? (laughs) So, you know, it could be to me, I wouldn't be shocked if 
they didn't make the playoffs. And then what do you do? Right. You can't have someone, first of all, they've created in the short term a ridiculous set of circumstances where they're going to have someone who is going to be in line to call the Super Bowl, someone who's calling the big games every week, who knows the job isn't theirs. You know, I mean, it's, a, it's actually kind of a great opportunity to audition, you know, but like one, all the all the spots are locked up right now. Brady for 10 years, Aikman at ESPN. The only real spot that's open is Herb Street, because you know that with all due respect to Kirk, he was Amazon's 15th choice. Right. <laughs> so, you know, if somebody comes in and, and really wows on Fox, maybe that might be a spot to end up. But, you know, it's a weird opportunity. Like. Why not just try to build up Greg Olson after all that time pursuing Greg Olson? Do you think maybe, and Fox did this before with Chris Collinsworth and Troy Aikman at the beginning of the 2000s with Joe Buck. Joe Buck, is it maybe a situation where, I mean, they haven't said, first of all, the time we're doing the podcast, we know that uh, Lachlan Murdoch, the son of Rupert Murdoch, is the one that made the announcement and he made it during the Fox uh, News Corp earnings call. He put that out there that, oh, by the way, we've got Tom Brady in the fold for the NFL on Fox when he retires. But there's nothing confirmed yet from Fox about what the plan would be. Isn't it possible they could do a three-man booth even in the short term with Olsen and Tom Brady? Do you buy that, John Lewis, on this discussion? Well, if Brady comes in this year, they're going to have to do it. You can't have someone, you know, I mean, when NBC brought in Isaiah Thomas uh, in 1998, they completely redid their NBA team. And it was Isaiah and Bob Costas. And we all know Isaiah is a solid studio analyst, but as a game analyst, he was lacking. Right. And so as soon as they were able, they got Doug Collins in. As soon as Doug Collins got fired in Detroit, they brought him in and they kept Isaiah. And it was Bob, Isaiah and Doug on the most watched NBA games ever in that 98 finals. The next year, Isaiah was gone. It was just Bob and Doug. You know, ultimately, that might be the way that it is where, you know, you have Burkhart and Olsen and then you bring in you know, uh, Brady later in the year to finish out the year in a three-man booth. And then next season, it's a two-man booth and you figure out what you're going to do with Olsen. You know, you can bump him down to a secondary team. That happens, you know, and there's, you know, there's a long history, uh, certainly in the NBA, of people going from the top team to the middle tier team and still working. Uh, you know, uh, in the NFL, we see it with Bill Sims. I mean, hey, give all the credit to Phil Sims for taking that enormous, you know, uh, demotion with uh grace and not being too visibly upset about it you know uh you're going... talking about when they hired tony romo and yeah. moved him out of the lead booth where he had been with jim yeah. nance and greg gumbel for the better part of 15 plus years right exactly going from the top game of the week with 30 million viewers to the pregame show that gets you know four million opposite fox i mean that's a big drop off uh you know i don't know that olsen is at the stage in his career where that would be amenable but you know i mean look ultimately it's still an opportunity to call a Super Bowl. I mean, it's a lame duck Super Bowl and there's really no real future there. But if you can wow them, you know, uh, even if they don't have room for you, then you can find a place elsewhere. I, I just think the main issue I have is just the money and the fact that Brady's completely unproven. And we're starting to get to a point of, you know, Rob Palinka style leadership at these networks where it's all about the big name. It's there's nothing else, just a big name, you know, and hey, does this big name fit? Does this big name have skills? 
you know, uh, and with Peyton, we knew Peyton had skills, you know, I mean, maybe not the traditional TV analyst skills that, and he's not going to be a traditional TV analyst, right? He's doing his own thing, but you know, Peyton's skills were, were evident, you know, Brady, I'm trying to think, well, what have I seen Brady in that one family guy he did, you know, <laughs> well, he's, he did the, uh, the Manning cast remember last year with Peyton taking the digs at him. He's primarily, he's not so much been in a booth broadcasting, but he's primarily been part of like fun broadcast. He'll be in the latest golf made for TV situation called the match. Uh, he's been in a couple of those. Remember two years ago during the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic, he was involved in the match with Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson, um, and the, the other one that escapes me. Who was the other that was in that uh, that group? I'm trying to remember. Uh, yeah, it was Peyton Manning, and they were ribbing each other back and forth. So he's been in those kind of scenarios. Of course, he's done his very successful man in the arena documentary, but that's being interviewed. That's not yeah. a game analyst. Very I will different. say this, and then we're going to move on to a couple of other subjects here, John. Tony Romo was a completely unproven commodity as a game analyst, and I said – numerous places this is not as easy as being interviewed what i was just saying to you in the podcast audience here on sportsmediawatch.com podcast but cbs had seen him audition with nance and nance has since told the story that he wowed everybody in that audition with volunteering analysis making points about things in advance and now that translated. I'm not saying that will absolutely happen or even come close to happening with Brady, but it's not unprecedented that somebody we haven't heard of can step in and be good. I don't know about great or be good at this right away. And that's what Fox's hope is obviously going to be. Any, any final thoughts on that Romo comparison? Well, Romo was not picked up because he was a big name. Now, Romo was a big name. But it's, he was never anywhere within, you know, 400 million miles of Brady or Manning in terms of his, you know, national recognition. So he was a clear prodigy and it was the auditions that made him an attractive prospect. What, has Brady auditioned? I, mean, I strongly doubt that he's auditioned, but I mean, has he? Did he wow anybody? Do we know that he has any skills at all? Is he going to practice broadcast with anybody? You know, these are the things that, I mean, I don't know. I just feel like, $400 million for 10 years. That is so ridiculous. Again, again, agents want that out there. I don't know that that's the actual number. Maybe it well, is the actual number. We'll you know, honestly, out. if that's Maybe the actual we'll number, out. then they need to, they need to, they need to run the Murdoch's out of there. If they're given $400 million over 10 you know what years. I've always said, God love whoever can get it. I know you say that. And if they're paying that for the announcers, then how much are they making? How much yeah. is the revenue? I mean, the perfect example is that Seinfeld, the great television comedy, has now been off the air almost 25 years. We're coming up on, like, right close to it. They were offering all of those cast members, all four of them, a million dollars per episode to stay and do another season. And they all collectively said, no, I'm not a million for the season, a million per episode. And they all said, no, thanks. So how much money, my point, were they making if they're right. offering the talent that kind of money? Wasn't so that Friends? Wasn't yeah. that Friends? Yeah. The Same kind of thing, too. Yeah. But Seinfeld, Seinfeld, 
Jerry just didn't want to do it anymore. Wasn't that but the they, they were bribing them. They said to all of them, trying to get them, can you just do one more year and we'll pay you all each a million dollars an episode? Same there's no thing. way that Michael Richards, Jason Alexander, and even Julie Louis-Dreyfus. Well, Julie Louis-Dreyfus is like a multimillionaire. She comes from like a billionaire family. But right. there's no way Michael Richards and Jason Alexander were turning down a million dollars a year. There's no way. Do you see what happened to Michael Richards? I know. You see what happened to Michael Richards within a decade of Seinfeld being off the air? He's screaming racial slurs in the Laugh Factory. I understand. He would have done anything for that. It was up to Jerry to continue the show, and they were trying to get them all to go along uh, with it. All right, a couple of more news items in the NFL, and then we're going to move on. We've got Kentucky Derby conversation and, uh, and much more coming. I know the NFL has been announcing parts of its schedule uh, on Monday, they announced on uh, ABC, on Good Morning America, that two of the games uh, that they're going to have to begin the year. It's interesting. They didn't announce the week one game, uh, John. They announced the week two doubleheader. Uh, Joe Buck and Troy Aikman will be working one of these games. They didn't specify. Bills, Titans, and Eagles, Vikings are the two games in the week two doubleheader. Again, the NFL schedule in full will be out on Thursday. On Tuesday, as we release this podcast, keep your days uh, straight. I'm trying to keep mine straight. On Tuesday, CBS made the announcement that the Christmas Day late afternoon Eastern time window for Eastern time, one Pacific will be Denver and the Super Bowl champion L.A. Rams on CBS. So we've learned some of the important games here, at least piecemeal early on in the week with the full schedule coming later in the week. John, what do you make of all that? Well, you know, I love the I love the Nickelodeon simulcast for the Christmas game on CBS. That's just a brilliant idea. Um, that you know, that's you know, the primary day. It makes a lot more sense than a playoff game. Playoff games are so high stakes. It's absurd to have a bunch of slime, you know, nonsense <laughs> on a playoff game. But for a Christmas Day game that'll get a playoff style audience, uh, that's really the ideal. That that I think was a great idea. I'm sure Fox is not pleased to get bumped up to the one o'clock slot on Christmas, especially since they're the only network that has a contractual tie to that specific holiday. But, you know, whatever. Uh, it is what it is. Um, I think, uh, you know, I don't know about the NFL sometimes. They're getting really out of control. This nonsense about, you know, putting the, the, the schedule out day and day. I mean, I used to joke about them doing the draft one pick a night for like how many of her nights they might actually do that. They really might. Um, Welcome back to night 27 yeah. of the NFL draft and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are on the clock. Uh, it is interesting that when that schedule comes out, there's a lot of belief in my market that the Buccaneers will be one of those other games on Christmas day, either the one o'clock Fox game or the primetime game. And we should make mention again to the audience on sportsmediawatch.com. The NFL has already announced triple header, 1 p.m. Eastern window, 4 p.m. Eastern window, 8 p.m. Eastern window, because Christmas falls on a Sunday this year. Might it be the Buccaneers and the Packers on Christmas day at home? Might it be the Buccaneers and the Kansas city chiefs and Patrick Mahomes on Christmas day? My Lord, John, if it is if it is Buccaneers and Chiefs in prime time on Christmas Day, speculate with me if I don't know if that's going to be the game that could be a 30 or 35 million viewership TV audience. Could it not? Maybe. Well, without a home, you can get 35 million for a preseason game nowadays. Uh, Look, the reality (laughs) is that it's going to be massive numbers. I do wonder would the NFL really. Because, you know, Thanksgiving is one of those days you'll notice the NFL does not schedule its greatest games on Thanksgiving. The NFL isn't saying, hey, let's take our number one game of the year, and put it on Thanksgiving, because they know Thanksgiving is a holiday. 
where you can put the lions on and you'll still get big numbers, right? <laughs> right. So is Christmas that kind of a holiday or does the NFL feel insecure enough about its, stat- its stature on Christmas that it needs to load that holiday up with big games? Because it'll be, that, that'll be interesting to me because, you know, Rams, Broncos, you know, I know Russell Wilson's on the Broncos now, but the Broncos are not, you know, they've not been a playoff team for a while. The Rams are the defending champions, but ultimately they're not that big of a draw, right? They're not one of the top, top draws in the league. So that's not an incredible matchup. Right. I don't know. Why would you put Bucks Chiefs on Christmas? You're going to get a big number on Christmas anyway, especially with them now accurately uh, measuring out of home Christmas Day on a Sunday. They're going to get huge numbers for that. They could put, you know, uh, the well, they could put the Lions there and they'd get a big number. Maybe. Carolina Panthers. I don't know. How about this for a theory? Because again, they have not yet announced they will on Thursday, depending on when you're hearing the podcast, the full schedule is out Thursday with all the games, all the primetime games, Monday night football, Thursday night, Amazon schedules, Sunday night football with Mike Tirico now calling it with Chris Collinsworth, Monday night schedule. What if week one is Buccaneers chiefs for Joe Buck and Troy Aikman on Monday night football? Oh, that'll be a big statement. Maybe. I don't know. We'll see. Well, Yes, the NFL has never treated Monday Night Football like Monday Night Football since ESPN got the rights. It seems absurd that they would make that change in approach just because Buck and Aikman were there. But, you know, the NFL is just run by people. I mean, even they might go, wow, Buck and Aikman are on ESPN. Let's give them good games. It seems completely illogical that they would do that. But, you know, I mean, the NFL does a lot of illogical stuff. So maybe, maybe ESPN will get a really good schedule. Maybe all ESPN ever needed to do was to get the right announcers. And that would mean the NFL would start giving them those big games. It seems absurd, but I actually don't think you could really rule it out. So it'll be interesting to see if you start to see ESPN, which a few years ago was getting the absolute dregs of, you know, I mean, they honestly had a worse schedule than NFL Network did a few years ago. It'll be interesting to see if they start to get those really big games. Titans Jaguars on yeah. Monday night football. That seems yeah. to also be on Thursday night uh, to Panthers Falcons for some of those bills jets. Uh, we'll see on the NFL schedule for later in the week. Let's move on to the exciting finish of the Kentucky Derby, John. And I want to get into the ratings with you uh, on that um, as well. Uh, first of all, what a dramatic upset an 80 to one shot a great call by the way a shout out here on the sportsmediawatch.com podcast by me and i know you echo this too larry colmas is the nbc announcer with a great call of rich strike the horse coming out of nowhere in the final furlong the final hundred yards to win passing epicenter the the favored horse that was tremendous TV. I was watching. I, I came out of my chair like everybody else. My twins, my 14-year-old twins were screaming and hollering. What a wild finish. And Larry Colmas deserves a lot of credit from me. That's me saying that. What are your thoughts? And what about the ratings, John? Well, you know, it was a great race. You know, I was asking uh, some, uh, some college students today how they consumed the race. Uh, and uh, in, without, without exception, social media after the fact, not the live race. You know, and ultimately NBC in their press release uh, said, what, 36 million watched the replay on their Twitter feed, their TikTok feed. Wow. You know, yeah, uh, it's, it's just a different world now. I did watch the race live. Uh, it was a little confusing at first because, you know, you weren't immediately aware that Rich Strike, when he when he was coming up, you didn't really know who that was or the fact that he was coming up from the 
from the end of the field, right? You, everyone, I think, I, I, I think everyone was paying attention to the top two horses that were sure. duking it out. And uh, then out of, you know, out of nowhere, it was only through columnists, you know, tone and words that you realize that this is a very unusual outcome. Um, I think it's great for the sport. Uh, you know, horse racing kind of needs that jolt every now and again. Uh, here's hoping everything involved in that whole story stays good. You know, we all know how it goes last few years in horse racing. So if I everything- know what you mean by that, if I can interject, and we're now to Tuesday night and we've heard nothing about banned yeah. substances and failed drug tests yet for the horse. The horse, what do I know, certainly acted hyped up after the race. Although I'm told by horse people that's not uncommon, and you heard the announcers even saying that horse wasn't getting along with the pony that it was next to, and and that's not uncommon uh, from horses. Um, I thought it was interesting, too, that there was some candor from the NBC people that they really did not know Rich Strike's ownership and trainer that well. And uh, Randy Moss is the guy's name, the namesake of the famous NFL player. But this is the broadcaster who's been a part of horse racing coverage for 40 plus years. In fact, his exact words, John, were I've been coming here for 41 years and have not seen anything like this. And I'll paraphrase. He said to the point that this is the first time ever that we're talking about a Kentucky Derby winner. And I've not talked to the trainer before because the horse only got in the race Saturday morning because another horse was scratched and the horse was an 80 to one underdog. Why would you go find out a lot about that horse? But it just goes to show you, you never know, right? Yeah. You never know. Um, you know, so uh, I think ultimately it was a great story for uh, for horse racing. You know, the pregame did pretty well. You know, an interesting thing, the pre-race coverage, the 90-minute pre-race, and, you know, NBC breaks this out into like 15 different programs. So one 90-minute portion of the pregame from 5 o'clock to 6.30 averaged 8.1 million viewers. I mean, that's more than any NBA playoff game so far. You know, that's a mm-hmm. big number. Um, which goes to show that, yeah, I mean, I'm sure if you actually averaged out the entire pre-race show, sort of the two hours beforehand as well, it wouldn't look quite as good. Uh, but, you know, I mean, there's I mean, there's people watching all that nonsense that NBC does for, you know, right right before the race, all the Rutledge Wood stuff, all the random, you know, fashion stuff that if you you know, if you're anything like me, it's like I don't even know what I'm watching right now. Exactly. You know, so uh, in our household, like many, we tuned in long about six Eastern time and the race did not come off until what close to 645 Eastern time or yeah. something like, so we got 45 minutes of the buildup. What did the actual race do? And in comparison to last year where it did pretty well, how did it do? Or are the final numbers still being tabulated? Uh, 15.8 million viewers for the race portion, which is uh, the seventh largest audience for the Derby since 89. So, you know, wow. that's a pretty long period of time now out of home is, you know, I mean, I guess it's we're getting to the point where, you know, out of home is distorting things a little bit. Right. Uh, ultimately, that's 15.8 million viewers on a 7.7 rating. Now, a 7.7 rating is not bad at all in this era, but it's the third lowest rating for the Derby since 2004. So you have the third lowest household rating for the Derby since 2004, but the viewership, which includes out-of-home viewing, is the seventh most watched since 1989. So obviously, that's uh, the out-of-home is a, is a major, major boost. 
Again, a dramatic finish, and Mike Tirico was right on it. As soon as uh, Larry Colmas was done calling it, he said, you've just seen one of the greatest upsets in the history of horse racing. He's right. He's correct. The second uh, biggest long shot uh, ever at 80-1 to to win that race. You never know in sports. All right, John, we've got a special guest uh, to get to. Let's segue to that, a new part of the sportsmediawatch.com podcast feed. Let's get into that a little bit more right now. As promised, been very excited about this, and there's been some discussion, some negotiating, some back and forth, and we landed the fish, and I'll even say it's a big <laughs> fish. It is the Tell Me a Story I Don't Know podcast, and George Offman is aboard with us on the sportsmediawatch.com podcast. Good to have you, my friend. I know for the audience on Sports Media Watch, they've heard me make reference to this. I've been working with you for a couple of years on your own podcast, and I, 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 I'm not going to speak for John. I'm just going to say I'm thrilled that you're aboard and part of this with what we're doing on Sports Media Watch and expanding. So, George Offman, welcome. Great to have you. Yeah, it's great to be here. It's great to be with John at Sports Media Watch. I uh, did some reading of it today, and it's really important for me to, and for I think our country, to continually read about the sports media landscape, because if it's the NFL, you need a scorecard every day to see what's going on. Yeah, as we joked before you came on, very similar to John's deal here on the podcast, Tom Brady getting the 300 and what, $75 million Uh Ridiculous what's being thrown around. But in any event, uh, George, for the audience here on SportsMediaWatch.com and the podcast that may not be familiar, you've got a tremendous storytelling podcast. Pick up on your theme and what the idea is behind it and some of the personalities that you've had on, including the debut of season five. Tell me a story I don't know is uh, storytelling by top sports personalities with some kind of connection to Chicago. And we've had a boatload of people from our initial uh, broadcast with, uh, or podcast, if you will, with uh, Michael Wilbon, we've had Greeny, Mike Greenberg, uh, we've had Bob Costas, Marv Albert, and we've had a lot of local people tie in as well. Season five just began today with Bill Lennington, who is, I think he's fairly well known. He was part of the Bulls' three chess, second three-peat uh, championship. He was an Olympian. Uh, he has been a Bulls radio analyst now since 2008 with Chuck Swirsky, and he tells some incredible stories, including the fact that, of course, he grew up in Montreal, so he started skating at two, said he was very proficient. As he got older, his feet got bigger, of course, and by age 14, they could not make a skate his size, so he quit and started playing basketball. Now, at that age, of course, he started high school, ninth grade. I started ninth grade. He was... Uh, Six feet nine when he started ninth grade. I was four feet nine when I started ninth grade. I said it was only two feet, Bill. That's it. Right. And it's the difference of him being a multimillionaire NBA player or not. John yeah. Lewis does not want to confirm or deny his height in the ninth grade. By the way, I don't know that either one of you know this because you primarily know this from seeing me sitting down on Zoom. You know, I'm I'm every bit of six four. But in the ninth grade, I had not hit the growth spurt yet. And TJ was only like about five, seven or five, eight. I hit the growth spurt late to get to six foot four later on in life. But John Lewis, I know you're excited to have George on board. And you even got off a great crack on uh, on Twitter about Bill Wennington as well as being a big NBA guy like you are. Well, you know, I mean, uh, it was uh, his most memorable shot, right? Uh, 95, the double nickel game by Jordan. But it was Bill Wennington who hit the game winner. 
against the Knicks, as uh, true <laughs> basketball fans do recall. <laughs> so I thought I would mention that. But, um, you know, certainly uh, those were very strange teams in Chicago in those days because uh, you can't say a team with Jordan and Pippen wasn't a super team, but there were a lot of folks along for the ride that are not the names you would typically think of, whether it's Randy Brown, Scott Burrell, Dickie Simpkins. There were a lot of folks on those teams that, you know, they weren't like the superstar, even by the role player standards, uh, the superstars. So uh, certainly uh, Bill Wennington, one of the most memorable of that group. Love that. And George, you covered those Bulls teams and you've had Marv Albert on a previous podcast Then go back and listen. And Marv rose to prominence as the NBC announcer calling all of those Jordan NBA finals wins. But for the audience here on sportsmediawatch.com, what was it like to cover that, to cover Bill Wennington? And I know you guys have a great relationship because you covered him back in the, in the second of the two, three peats. Well, it's a once in a lifetime situation when you are able to sit courtside for most of the career of the best NBA player in history in Michael Jordan, who is really affable to the media as well. It made life a lot easier to deal with a person, a superstar like that, but it just transformed the city. And, uh, you know, a lot of people think if Jordan had not gone to play baseball, they might've won eight consecutive championships, you know, emulating the Boston Celtics of uh, the fifties and sixties. It was phenomenal. It's great. You're just so lucky to, to be a part of that in your lifetime to see really arguably the best player. I have uh, something else to add. And, and John, you may uh, or may not be familiar with this. I did not know this. I learned it from George's podcast. He had Mike Greenberg, Greeny of ESPN, one of their most prominent personalities on ESPN. Do I have this correct, George? Correct me if I'm wrong from the podcast that Mike Greenberg got his job with the famed all sports station, the score in Chicago, 670, the score AM. And was it his first assignment or one of his first assignments was you're headed to spring training, 1994 in Sarasota, Florida, not far from where I'm sitting right now, John Lewis. And for the audience, you're covering Michael Jordan with the Chicago white Sox in spring training. I learned that from your podcast. Do I have most of that right? John, uh, uh, George. That's correct. I was in Mesa for the Cubs and Greedy decided, you know, he, he, he raised his hand that he, he wanted to be part of that circus and he was, and that really helped him gain prominence as he went along that covering the Olympics. Uh, it, it was just a great move by Greedy. And also in that podcast to be noted, the first person that uh, Mike Greenberg ever worked with professionally was a guy named George Hoffman. So I, you tell uh, I, the only story. difference, the only difference between Greeny and I right now are the zeros behind our paychecks. He has a lot more than me. I was going to say he might have a little more hair than you and me. <laughs> yeah. John's got hair. Greenberg's got hair, but we don't have the quaff anymore often. Uh, yes, uh, again, listen to the old a library uh, uh, archived edition with Mike Greenberg because his first day in radio was with the man we're talking to on sportsmediawatch.com. Mike Greenberg began John Lewis with George Offman in a radio booth learning how to do radio updates uh, back when. Um, again, George, plug for the audience here what you have coming up in season five, whom they're going to hear from, because this is fascinating on the diversity of guests, including uh, straight away what you have coming up in a two-parter. Yes, we do. Coming up next week is a two-parter with Tom Brennan, the former voice of the Cincinnati Reds, and of course uh, the NFL and Major League Baseball with Fox, who was banished because of an anti-gay slur that he uh, 
happened to say during a commercial break with a live mic. Uh, and he is just, first of all, Tom is a wonderful human being. He's very open. Um, I think he served the sentence maybe too long. I'd love to see him back where he belongs, which is in the broadcast booth. I mean, he began his career just about here in the city of Chicago when he did uh, some Cubs games with Harry Carey uh, back in the end of the 90s. So uh, it's, you know, Tom Brenneman is the type of guy who, when you start listening to this podcast, he will tell you chapter and verse what took place, what he has tried to do to rehabilitate his image. And he is just fascinating, but also the stories he tells because he was behind the mic for one of the most infamous baseball games in the history of the Chicago Cubs, the Bartman game. I think a lot of people remember that one uh, and uh, back in 2003. So uh, I just, Tom Brenneman's coming up. We have, uh, we have, let's see, we have uh, Ryan Dempster, Dave Wills, the voice of the uh, Tampa Rays. Right. I'm sure you know him. Wayne Larrabee, the voice of the Packers. Ron Rivera, the uh, coach of the uh, Washington Commanders. So we've got, an, and, and Pat Fitzgerald, the, uh, the longtime coach of the Northwestern Wildcats. So they're you part of this season coming up. You also have Kenny Albert coming soon. Who's Kenny on Albert the play by play call well. for Turner of the NHL with Eddie Olchick and Kenny Albert. I believe, John Lewis, how about this in the trivia from George Offman here on the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast. Is it correct about Kenny Albert? You were researching that stat. Is it correct about the five different Chicago teams? What is that stat? That, that is correct. He is the only person in history to broadcast all five Chicago sports franchises, the Blackhawks, the Bulls, the Bears, the Cubs, and the White Sox. Uh, and, I mean, he's been behind the night, uh, Mike, for the Knicks-Bulls games. Obviously, he's done network stuff. Nobody's ever done five. He has, albeit on a national basis, he's the only one. How about that? These are the things you find out, John Lewis, from George's podcast. Just one more time, John, I know you, you echo with me. We're excited to hear these podcasts right. and have it be part of Sports Media Watch, right? Yeah, looking forward to uh, hearing some of these interviews. Uh, now, I do want to say uh, for all of the uh, WNBA and MLS fans out there, you do want to remember the sky and the fire, <laughs> right? You'll have, just have to have the obligatory mention. So yep. it's the five big four, the five big four teams. Yes, the five big four. And and it, does this also include like the XFL if they had a team and things like that? And who would have broadcast? So yes, George's, George's meaning the five big from the big four sports that are well not that. only that but just just to note this the chicago skies play-by-play announcer is lisa byington and she will be a guest in season six how about how about this my man george is all over it uh with this john i know we're excited george offman continue to knock him dead again the bill wennington edition is out where he's talking about everything from size 14 ice skates to motorcycles to, oh, by the way, playing with Dennis Rodman, right? One more time, yes. George. You, you don't want to miss that, right? No. He, he's uh, There are a lot of people I've talked to who really appreciate Dennis Rodman, the human being. I really never liked following him around the hallway when he wanted to be interviewed. You had to walk with him. I wasn't a fan of that. I wasn't a fan of the way he played. But a lot of fans loved him because he won three championships here. And he did so wearing a dress. <laughs> on that george thank you my friend good luck with the podcast we love having you on sports media watch uh with tell me a story i don't know they only have to be right here on the sportsmediawatch.com podcast feed to get tell me a story i don't know new episodes out every tuesday and season five underway right my friend Absolutely. I'm looking forward to this uh, wonderful merger with john who's got a wonderful uh website and a good podcast as well. So I think it's going to be a great deal of fun, John. I'm looking forward to it. 
Yep, me too. Getting ready to get the ball rolling. Again, we're excited on that, John Lewis. They can check out Bill Wennington as the latest example. Tom Brenneman coming this weekend, as uh, George was making mention. And just one more time, I know we're excited to have George and tell me a story I don't know because you learn things from that. It's fascinating. As he often says, it's like a faucet that he turns on and the guests are the water. They just go with the stories and the stuff. It's a fascinating thing, John. Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to, uh, to hearing more. Yeah, we're, ex- we're excited about that. Shall we? I think it's time. Here we go. Love it or leave it. Well, the public was loving them some Formula One with the Miami race uh, that took place, the F1 race in and around Dolphins Stadium in South Florida. Uh, John, this got tremendous. Right, The public was loving Formula One. Tell me more. Well, you know, it's the most watched Formula One race, the uh, most watched live Formula One race ever in American TV, 2.58 million viewers for the actual race. I'd initially reported 2.07 million earlier in the morning, but that included pre-race coverage. So this was 2.5 million or 2.58 million for the actual race. Uh, you know, it's a huge number for F1. This is a, a circuit that... You know, a couple of years ago, typically you were getting three, four or five hundred thousand viewers and saying, hey, that's pretty good. And uh, it's vaulted, vaulted much higher. Uh, I will say, you know, there is an element, I'm sure if you're a NASCAR supporter of, hey, look, uh, 2.58 million viewers on ABC and Darlington on FS1 had 2.6 million, uh, you know, in the exact same window. Uh, and I, I think it is worth noting that NASCAR did outdraw that race head to head. Uh, on FS1, right? I mean, I'm sure there's people who think FS1 went under just like NBCSN did, right? And uh, the NASCAR race still managed to get 2.61 million there. Um, you know, F1 did win the head-to-head in 1849 and almost certainly did in 20, uh, 25 to 54 and 1834 as well, though I have not seen those numbers. Uh, those would usually be on show buzz, but have been a bit delayed today. So, uh, you know, I mean, obviously uh, F1 is just surging, looking good. And, uh, you know, uh, I guess it's a testament to what, Netflix? Yeah, I was going to say real quick, did we chalk it up that that Netflix series of a year ago that's coming back really got some people interested in finding this? And now when you had it kind of in a normal time window, U.S. time zone time, it delivered with the the anticipation of that. It's got to be part of it, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, the great Dan Patrick on his show today, uh, I did actually discover the Dan Patrick show on Peacock, uh, so... (laughs) Starting to get back into that. Uh, the Dan Patrick, uh, or excuse me, Dan Patrick said on his show today that uh, it's a little bit like the Premier League, where the Premier League really wasn't much and then kind of just caught on. And part of it was a new media rights deal and some of that exposure and marketing. And, uh, you know, look, I mean, F1 is probably also benefiting from not having Bernie Ecclestone as their leader anymore. I think that's probably helped. So, yeah. All right. F1 looking good. Let's move on. Love it or leave it. You mentioned Peacock and they had the debut of their first broadcast of MLB. Again, we can't keep up between Apple Plus and YouTube TV and the the TV partners and MLB network where the games are just on shotgun all over the place. But Peacock had their debut with a Red Sox game, I believe, this past weekend, right? Well, you know, it was an actual Major League Baseball broadcast. It wasn't some ridiculous nonsense, you know, with a bunch of Internet people. Right. It was a baseball broadcast with 
uh, you know, a, a great baseball broadcaster and Jason Benetti. And that's no slight to Melanie Newman, who is a traditional play-by-play voice on Apple. But we know that Apple is trying to do something very different than just present a baseball game. So from the standpoint of presenting a baseball game, uh, I think that was successful. Uh, you know, the only issue is it's May. And so presenting a baseball game is uh, kind of boring to do, right? Uh, you know, realistically, uh, you know, Ahmed, Ahmed Farid, who uh, has said some very nice things about our, our podcast to me before. And, you know, he's a good, solid broadcaster for NBC, was part of it. He was good as well. Uh, the only thing that I didn't like was there was the umpire delay, right? One, I can't believe it takes that long to swap out umpires. I mean, that was an unbelievably long delay. Forgive me. I don't know. Was it an injury? It was an injury yeah. situation. So they had to swap another umpire to come work the plate. Okay. Exactly. And I mean, you know, I just, it didn't seem like it should have taken that long, but anyway, uh, there was the umpire delay. And so they did actually have uh, an interview with the Medford interviewing Sasha Banks. And I don't know, I am allergic to cross promotion. Okay. Uh, I remember in the 2003 NBA finals, the first finals ABC carried in this right steal. They spent the entirety of halftime of game six, the clinching game with Mike Tirico interviewing the late Joel Siegel about the summer movie season. And then Tirico and Siegel, okay, doing a fist bump while wearing incredible Hulk fist hands. I do remember that. I yes. remember that pumping the Hulk. I remember yeah, that. It was awful. I am allergic to cross promotion. Right. And so, you know, uh, that was the only thing I didn't like was that interview with Sasha Banks. But see, the, thing, the thing is, my twins are 14. We do let them in small doses. Do not make fun of me, John, and podcast audience. We do let them in small doses watch professional wrestling, and they would have been big on Sasha Banks because they love her. So they would have watched that and been interested. They are going for the younger crowd, not necessarily our cup of tea. There yeah. you go on that. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm always amazed by how many people really like wrestling. Like, if I recall, there I think are- Brian, I think Brian Curtis of The Ringer is big into wrestling. Mm-hmm. Dyke is big into wrestling. Uh, you know, I, I am mean, as well. I grew up I grew up in and around Memphis, Tennessee and in Tampa, Florida. And those are wrestling hotbeds in the South. Not as much as before. And again, we do it in moderation in my house. I just thought I'd po- point that out when you brought up uh, Sasha Banks. So again, for Major League Baseball, we've seen a lot of crazy stuff. By the way, shout out to Gary Cohen of SNY in New York for the great Mets comeback in the ninth inning. His calls were fantastic. And the Indians guys, Tom Hamilton on the radio, had some great calls. Matt Underwood on TV when the Indians came back from six down in the ninth the other night. The local regional broadcaster, shout out to them. Uh, John, we have just about come to the end here. I know we don't have as much time as we would like, but this meteorologist in Memphis, Tennessee, with a tweet about Draymond Green in the NBA playoffs, we're in 2022. Have we, I mean, what are we doing here with putting that on social media? And he's going to be disciplined, if not fired, uh, you know, get a grip here uh, in 2022. Yeah. Agree? Yeah, you know, yeah, I mean, obviously, I, you know, it's an interesting one because uh, I know that people have used knuckle dragging as an epithet against, you know, white people before. It's not necessarily inherently a racist comment i will say uh you know you got to be really careful saying stuff like that and i would i would say the context was weird like when people call someone a knuckle dragger it's always like this guy is stupid you know retrograde you know uh backwards a caveman that type of thing which didn't really seem to apply to draymond who we all know draymond 
even if you don't like Draymond, he's a smart guy. And if you think Draymond is being a whiner about officiating or making some right. rough tumble plays, trying to hurt people, knuckle dragger doesn't come to mind. So even though I know that knuckle dragger is not inherently a racial slur, it was just kind of a weird choice of right. words. I've always used the word like Neanderthal or caveman. Yeah. That, that just to me, that implies that that's not race. That just implies dumb, not right. smart, uh, and again, not coordinated, whatever. Right. Knuckle draggers, can I just say knuckle draggers got no point in any analysis of anything because of the racial connotation, period. That guy should be toast, toast. And, you know, the it just didn't make any sense in the context. Yeah. And he wasn't saying Draymond has backwards ideas. Like if someone wanted to call, you know, Cam Newton that for what he said about women, it would still be wrong. But at least contextually, I would kind of get it because it's like, oh, you're saying he's a caveman. But in this case, because there was no real context where that made sense, I tend to agree with the interpretation that it was a race thing, right? I mean, it seems more likely than not. They're going to have, have a vacancy in the Memphis Meteorological Department on that yeah. station. General rule of thumb, don't torch everything you ever worked for and everything you ever did in your life because you're mad about a game. I know, you know, it's just important to keep in mind. And social media. Listen, we've got to go here in just a moment. Our thanks again to George Offman being with us and partnering up with Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. Uh, his podcast, Bill Wennington, the guest this week, Tom Brenneman coming next. John Lewis, I always appreciate the takes and the time. Thank you for that. Ain't no problem. And we thank you for finding us however you did so through John's site, social media link, etc. cetera. Uh, uh, subscribe and follow to this podcast feed for everything on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. I'm merely TJ Reeves. Thank you for being with us on the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast. Bye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.